to Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. I am Mallory. And I am Ashley. (laughs) And we're here to tell you stories. (laughs) A lot of time has passed. Not actually. I feel like 30 years has passed since the last time we recorded an episode. It's because the last two weeks have been insane. Too much stuff. Too much socializing. (laughs) Yeah. Too much life events. Um, Last Friday, was it? We went out for my birthday to St. Cecilia, which was super fun and delicious. Yeah, that was so yummy. And then the day after that, we had my son's birthday party. He just turned two years old. So that was crazy. And then Easter. And then Mallory's also been working a zillion trillion hours every day. Yeah. 12-hour shift yesterday, 10-hour shift today. And then the rest of the week was as normal. So I'm going to get a lot of overtime. (laughs) So just to put it into perspective, uh, Mallory woke up at 4 in the morning, and it's almost 9 p.m. now. Yay! We're trying to... um, Love it for me. (laughs) We're trying to wake our asses up and get stoked to tell you these crazy stories. Yeah, I'm excited about your story today, though. Yeah. You said it was good. Speaking of crazy stories, have you been following the Orsulia Gal case at all? Oh, I just saw the initial thing that you sent to me. I didn't see anything else. Everyone probably knows a little bit about it, but Arzulia Gal was a 51-year-old woman in the Queens area of New York who was found in a duffel bag, right, like, like less than a mile from her house, stabbed 60 times. Oh my God. Um, and ring doorbell footage or security cameras captured video of the person dragging her down the sidewalk yeah and it looked like it was a child because the person looked pretty like short but they were dragging her in like this huge hockey bag anyway the husband and the teenage son were out of town they were actually in portland i believe oh i think they were looking at schools but the i think it was a 13 year old son was home with her and um, basically, she had gone out with a friend that night and then had gone to a bar, came home, and like the next day at like six in the morning or something, a dog walker found her. And they oh found God. out it was this woman because they literally followed a trail of blood back to her Whoa. house. So it was pretty crazy. They actually arrested the 13-year-old son when they got to the house, but they, they let him go because they didn't have any... like. I don't know. They didn't have anything against him, but they ended up finding out who did it. Did you hear that? No. Yeah. They did? Yeah. <gasps> who was it? Um, so I don't have his name up or anything. I didn't really like write down anything, but it turns out that she was having an affair with a man, I guess for like a couple years or so. He was a handyman that would work at their house oh, and my God. he had come over that night and they got into an argument and he just stabbed her to death. And oh my God. Really all I know. I mean... I didn't dive deep into this one, but it it's pretty crazy and Ugh, very sad. That's very sad. But that reminds me of a weird case that I had today, actually, Oh, at work. Oh, no. <laughs> Without giving any identifying information, obviously. There was a guy, they started screening the case with me, and they said that he died of multiple stab wounds. And oh, God. They gave me, you know... What happened? They took him to the hospital, all this kind of stuff, and eventually he died. And they were like, but it's kind of weird because his niece was the one that stabbed him. And it was because there was either 
an attempted sexual assault or he actually did sexually assault her. Oh my god. Isn't that horrible? I can't believe you get that much information. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) This is why I'm paranoid about everything. (laughs) Oh my god. That's so sad. (laughs) That much information on a case like that we get in like car wrecks, we get in, you know, everything else. So it's like ridiculous. Wow. Takes a toll on your mental health. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Well, I think you said you had a case update. Oh, I do. It's not very big. But in the Libby and Abby case, the police have now come out and said that there was another social media account. Oh, yeah. That Anthony Shots was using. It was still, I think, called Anthony Shots. Um, but like it was a different on, platform, right? Yeah, it was called, it used to be called Yellow, but now it goes by the name of Yubo, mm-hmm. Y-U-B-O. So they were just looking for information from anybody that had potentially interacted with Anthony Shots on that app. Yeah, I believe it was like a French social media app. Yeah. And there was some like, I don't know, there's some like incidents on there where it was being used for. Yes. Like. In other cases. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> I can't find my words. Bad communications. <laughs> Naughty communications. Yes. Um, with children and things of that nature. Yeah. So, wow. God, yeah, they just need to it. figure out who did this. I know. Oh, my God. So, you might hear my ice jingling in my glass. <laughs> Our cocktail tonight is called The Closer. And I will tell you why in a second. But it is a Prosecco drink. With grapefruit juice, vodka, and um, just a sprig of mint. I don't really know if that does anything for the drink, but it makes it pretty. (laughs) So it's almost like a mimosa. It's pretty refreshing. It's very good. Yeah. It's nice and crisp. (laughs) It's crisp. (laughs) Fruity. (laughs) Um, So yes, it's called The Closer. And I picked this drink because tonight we're going to be talking about Todd Kolhep. And Todd is a realtor, hence closer <laughs> closes on houses yep so yes todd kolhep i have my subheading is realtor amazon enthusiast serial killer oh amazon the company yeah <laughs> enthusiast yeah <laughs> what <laughs> interested to learn about that aspect are you ready yeah i'm ready okay thursday november 6th 2003 beyonce's baby boy dominated the charts oh Baby boy, you've been on my mind. You're my fantasy. (laughs) It seemed fitting. Scott Ponder and his wife, Melissa, recently found out that they were expecting their first child sometime next year, a baby boy. They had been trying for a while and were buzzing with excitement. That morning, Scott Ponder left for work at his shop, Superbike Motorsports. Melissa was still sleeping when he left that morning, but received a call from him later in the day. Nothing was out of the ordinary. He said he'd see her later and that he loved her. Later that afternoon, Scott's good friend Noel Lee called the shop to give Scott a heads up that he was dropping by with some tickets to a motocross event. Scott told him to come on down and Noel arrived less than 10 minutes later. When Noel got out of his car, he immediately saw Scott and his colleague Brian Lucas laying right outside of the front of the store in what looked like a pool of blood. Oh boy. Noel assumed it was a prank and nudged the guys with his foot, but he quickly noticed that the two men had been shot in the head. Oh my god. He rushed into the store, where he found Scott's 51-year-old mother, Beverly. She was in the back of the store, and it seemed as though she had been ambushed as she was coming out of the restroom. Mechanic Chris Sherbert's body was also found in the back of the shop, where he had been working on a bike. 
So the mother was dead too? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. In absolute shock, Noel called 911. Police swarmed the area. This was the first time the town had ever experienced a crime of this nature. Things like this did not happen in Chesney, especially in broad daylight, and for seemingly no apparent reason. Detectives speak to the last known customer in Superbike Motorsports and learn that there was another man in the shop at the time. He was wearing a leather jacket and was looking at a bike. According to the customer, the man was in the shop when he left, and that was moments before the shooting. They were able to describe the man, and a sketch was released to the public. The search for the man in the sketch was fruitless, and detectives honed in on a different suspect, Noel Lee, the man who discovered the four victims. Mm-mm. Noel was best friends with Scott and Brian, and often hung out with them at Superbike Motorsports. Noel didn't even get an opportunity to grieve for his friends because he was subjected to hours and hours of questioning, lie detector tests, He was fingerprinted, and his car was taken and dusted for fingerprints as well. Noel lived under a cloud of suspicion, but he was eventually cleared. However, the horror of what he discovered that day haunted him forever. Oh my god, I bet. I can't even... Oh my god. Yeah. Detectives were also looking into Scott Ponder's wife, Melissa. Three days after the murder, Melissa was brought in for questioning. She was polygraphed and went through intense questioning. Every aspect of her marriage was scrutinized. Melissa felt a sense of hope when her son was born seven months later. She named him Scotty after his father. Scotty brought a new sense of purpose to Melissa's life, and it seemed like there was a light at the end of the tunnel. But that light went out when Melissa received a phone call when Scotty was only six months old. It was detectives. They asked her to come down to the shop. They needed to talk to her and they asked that she not bring the baby. Police had received a tip that Scott Ponder was sterile, and police started to suspect that Melissa was having an affair. What? Perhaps she even arranged for Scott to be out of the picture. So it was just a tip, though. They didn't know Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, it was just a tip. But when detectives met with Melissa, they told her that they knew her baby didn't belong to Scott. (gasps) What liars. Melissa was taken aback. They told her that they took a diaper from the trash can of the shop and run DNA testing. They concluded that the baby's DNA did not match up with Scott's, and he was not the father. Did they actually do that, though? Yeah. They did do that? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yep. Oh, my God. So, Melissa was outraged. She told detectives that they needed to swab the baby's mouth in front of her and check again, because Scott was most definitely the father. There was no way he couldn't be. Baby Scotty was swabbed, and the results came back. Scott was not the father. Oh my god. The detective urged Melissa to come clean, to tell them who the father was, and to explain what was going on. Melissa could not believe it. She was ready to have her husband exhumed to prove he was the father of this baby. Yeah. Wow. Insane. That is so crazy. And it wasn't just like... They just got pregnant. They had been trying and trying. And I think they even went through fertility treatments to have this baby. So (laughs) after 18 months of this, police finally realized they made a mistake and admitted (gasps) they got it all wrong. They had mixed up Scott's DNA with Scott's employee, Brian Lucas. Oh, my God. (laughs) Can you believe that? Oopsies. Whoops. Sorry we ruined your life. (laughs) Sorry we made you feel like a reality wasn't even... Trustworthy. Oh my God. Yeah, she 
she was like this obviously I, ha- I didn't sleep with any other man it's obviously yeah. scott's baby so she started questioning like did i get the wrong baby from the hospital like oh my God. crazy stuff she was like I, I can't understand how this can be uh, yeah so 18 months of this of this worry that's enough to actually make you insane i know ponder was cleared with the police but not with the town like noli a cloud of suspicion followed melissa wherever she went she hit rock bottom. Gossip spread throughout the town. Even Scott's own grandmother died thinking that Melissa was responsible for his death and that Scotty wasn't even his son. Oh my God. Not only did she lose her husband and her family business, she lost her relationships in South Carolina. She decided to move back to Arizona to start fresh. 13 years went by and the superbike murders remained unsolved. Until one day, Melissa received a phone call. It was a detective that worked on her husband's case. He told her to be available to talk in one hour. Melissa waited nervously for the call back. Were they trying to pin something on her again? She decided to record the phone call just in case. And I'm going to play you the call. Ooh, yay. Melissa? Yes. Can you hear my neighbor? Yeah. Sit down. Okay. Did you hear that? Yeah, it was a little hard to understand, but I think essentially they were saying we found the guy who committed the murder. Yeah, they had someone confess to the murders, and it was a man named Todd Colehep. So the detective told Melissa that Colehep admitted to firing a single gunshot into the forehead of each of his victims, a detail that wasn't released to the public and only the killer would know. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you have lots of questions. Yeah, why? (laughs) (laughs) Like, who the hell is Todd Colehub? Yeah. Why did he massacre four innocent people, and why was he confessing now? Yeah, why did he confess? Well, it's a long and crazy story, so in your words, buckle up, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Like John Wayne Gacy, Richard Ramirez, and BTK, Todd was born a Pisces. Did you know that Pisces was the most prevalent serial killer? No. Sign? Oh my god, I had no idea. He was raised by his mother in parts of South Carolina and Georgia. Todd had trouble managing his emotions from a very young age. He was aggressive with other children and displayed a classic red flag, cruelty to animals. At nine years old, his mother had him undergo counseling. He actually wound up spending almost four months in a psychiatric hospital in Georgia due to his behavior. Todd's mother shares a story about Todd's destructive behavior. She had just bought him a new bedroom set, and when she got home from work, she discovered that he had taken a claw hammer to every piece of furniture and destroyed it. There are other anecdotes of Todd shooting a dog with a BB gun and pouring bleach in his fish tank, killing the fish. Little shit. Why did he do this? Because he wanted a gerbil instead. Oh my god. His mother was so afraid of him after a certain point that she would lock his bedroom door at night and lock her own too. Oh my god. Uh, A little kid. The little... Oh my god, that is so scary. 
1983, when Todd was 12, he went to live with his father in Tempe, Arizona. His father was pretty absent most of the time, but both shared a love for guns and making explosives. Yay! Good. (laughs) That's exactly what he needs to be into. Wonderful parenting. On November 25th, 1986, Todd had the house to himself, which was the case most of the time. He decided that he would steal his father's 22 caliber revolver and kidnap one of his classmates that lived down the street. What? A 14-year-old girl. Excuse me? Mm-hmm. Just decided, oh, I think this is what I'm going to do today. Yeah, and he was like 14, 15 years yeah. old. Yeah. He brought her back to his home, tied her up, put tape on her mouth, and raped her. Oh my god! Yeah. I can't even, I don't have words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. It was okay, though, because he walked her home afterward. Yeah, that's fine then. That's all fine. His mother, there were several interviews with her, and she often made these type of excuses for his actions. Ugh. Get into that a little bit more. Before he left, he told the girl that if she told anyone, he would kill her younger siblings. Thankfully, the girl's siblings called the police to report she went missing. When the girl returned, the police were at her house, and she told them the story about what happened with Todd. She said he lured her outside, and once he got her in the alley, he put a gun to her head. He actually pulled the trigger, but the gun misfired. (gasps) When cops knocked on Kolhep's door, he answered with a rifle in hand. He asked the cops two questions. What's going to happen to me, and how much time am I going to get? Kolhep was charged with kidnapping sexual assault, and committing a dangerous crime against children. In 1987, he was tried as an adult and sentenced to 15 years in prison and was registered as a sex offender. In August 2001, Kolhep was released from prison after serving 14 years. He moved back to South Carolina, where his mother was still living. For almost a year, Todd worked as a graphic designer for a promotional goods company in Spartanburg. I'm triggered by the word promotional goods, by the way. It just brings back memories of working. Mallory and I used to work together at an embroidery shop, and um, they also sold promotional products, Mm -hmm. and our boss was literally insane. so funny because he actually reminds me of Todd Kolhep. Oh he, man, he, he is serial he, killer-ish. He is, and he's also a realtor. Oh god, you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Their personalities are very similar. I hate this so much. Shall we tell a few stories about <laughs> Ooh, I shouldn't say his name. We'll bleep that out. <sighs> so... <laughs> While we were in college, Mallory and I worked at an embroidery shop, and it was really fun because we worked together, but it was also a little traumatizing because our boss was literally insane. Yep. I recall one time he sprayed me directly in the (laughs) retina with compressed air, and I had to go to the doctor (laughs) to get my eyes checked. He was constantly over-promising and under-delivering, and we always had people come into our shop being like... Mad. Yes, where's our stuff? Where's our stuff? When's it going to be done? And it was so stressful. I remember the day I quit, he was like so mad that 
I don't know, something happened, like someone was pissed at something he did and he threw something. Oh, I do remember that. He like threw like a big piece of equipment and like, I don't remember what it was called. But I was just like, peace, yeah. <laughs> out of here. I think I lasted like two more weeks. Yeah. And then I just like didn't go back. In. Yeah. <laughs> that was insane. Anyway, Todd left that job around November of 2003, which was when the superbike murders occurred. So the story was that Todd had always wanted a motorcycle, probably because he had a tiny pee-pee. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... He bought one from Superbike Motors, but he couldn't get the hang of riding it, so he decided he wanted to take it back. Apparently, he went in on November 6th to return the bike, and the guys at the shop laughed at him and refused to give him a refund or something. So he did what anyone would do. He asked to speak to the manager. Just kidding. He pulled out a gun and went on a rampage. Ugh, my God. Shooting every employee in the building square in the forehead like some blessed carinator. <laughs> carinator. Todd casually decided his next move would be to go to college. Oh. He went to school at the University of South Carolina Upstate. Go Spartans! I actually have a friend who went there. Mm. Where he graduated in 2008 with a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration and Marketing. This was after the shooting? Mm-hmm. Oh, well. While in school, Todd also managed to get his real estate license, despite being a registered sex offender. Apparently, he lied about not having any felonies, and no one bothered to check. Um, great. <laughs> Sounds like a good system they have. Yeah, I in. really want to go look in a vacant house with a sex offender. Yeah, seriously. Because once you're on the sex offender registry, you're on there for life, right? Yeah, well, I th- yeah you should I be, think right? you are, yeah. And sometimes it's unfair because... It's really just like a teenager who had sex with someone when you're younger than them or something, and they're on, they're yeah. on it for life, which is kind of shitty, but... Yeah. So Todd became pretty successful as a realtor and created his own brokerage called TKA Real Estate. Thank God that slide is gone. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a slide up right now about the broker, and it's a picture of Todd. He has a pilot's license, so it's him in a plane. And, you know, he has a little bit of information about himself. You can tell he has a really stupid sense of humor. Just (laughs) the last, he has former graphic designer, which, yeah, right. Drinks two pots of coffee a day. Okay. Uh And, yeah. Uh He had great reviews on Zillow. So. That's crazy. And he looks like a totally normal guy. Yeah. Right? He was recognized as a top-selling agent in the Carolina area. He had pretty good reviews, but some customers came forward claiming that while Todd was a good realtor and extremely outgoing, he also would talk about his firearms incessantly and sometimes would drop some gross sexual innuendo into conversation. Other clients claimed Todd could be angry and condescending, and a banker who worked with Kohlhepp said he often watched porn at work. Oh, good job. Like, super chill, no big deal. Yeah. In May 2014, he purchased nearly 100 acres of land located in an area nine miles from the community of Moore, South Carolina. And he purchased this for about $305,000. He had an $80,000 fence installed around the property. 
Todd would later tell police that this was his killing field, which is just the creepiest thing ever. Um, my God, but he didn't even kill people in the field. Yet. Yet. Oh, no. Colehead was a fan of fine dining and frequented a Waho in Roebuck, South Carolina. And for those who have no idea what that is, it's Waffle House, <laughs> a diner franchise situation that's headquartered in Georgia, which I did not know until I did some research on Waffle House for some reason. <laughs> so I thought Waffle House was only in the South, but it turns out they're all over the U.S. Not that that has any relevance to anything I'm talking about. But um, Georgia has the most Waffle Houses out of all, with 450. (laughs) On every single corner of every street. Anyway, Todd was all about it and was a regular. He creeped out all of the waitresses, and his behavior was so disturbing that whenever he came into the restaurant, they sent a male cook to take his order. Ugh. Yeah, oh my god. What a creeper. One of the waitresses that worked there was named Megan Lee McCraw-Coxie. Megan and her husband, Johnny Coxie, had their struggles. They were known to panhandle in the area and had recently had some run-ins with police. But in December of 2015, they went missing. Megan's mother reported the couple missing on December 22nd after being unable to reach them on multiple attempts, something that was uncharacteristic of the couple. Oh no... About seven months later, in August of 2016, another couple went missing. Kayla Brown, 30, and her boyfriend Charles David Carver, 32. They had dinner plans with friends on August 31st, but never showed up and never called. After a couple days, their families began to worry. They were unable to get in touch with them, and when they gained access into their home, their Pomeranian was alone and in bad condition. Oh no. The dog obviously had not been fed or let out in days. (laughs) Upon discovering their dog, their loved ones knew that something was terribly wrong. They would never leave their dog alone like that. Yeah. Missing person reports were filed. Their bank statements were combed over, but police found no immediate clues. But then out of nowhere, in late September, early October, someone starts posting on Charlie's Facebook account. Life updates were posted one after the other that predated when they went missing. For example, they were expecting a child together. They had gotten married. They bought a house. Someone started posting very odd things that were very out of character on Charlie's page. Weird. For example, song lyrics from the Eagles song Hotel California, which in this context comes off extremely chilling. So I'll just read you the lyrics. Last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax, said the nightman. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. And then another post was just stupid. Sometimes late at night, I dig a hole in the backyard to keep the nosy neighbors guessing. And then some friends commented, is that what you did to Kayla and the real Charlie? And someone else says, are you hinting at what you did with them? You know it's sad that someone like you is using his Facebook page when his family and friends are worried about both him and Kayla. Ugh. That's so creepy, too. So as you can imagine, friends and family start to panic. They reach out to them through Facebook, and the responses they receive are beyond bizarre. It's obvious to loved ones that this is not Charlie or Kayla. 
people start to wonder if this mysterious person behind the Facebook page has kidnapped the couple or worse, killed them. Some started to suspect Charlie's ex-wife. Friends continued to message Charlie's account, hoping for any information or at least some clue as to where they are. So I have up here on our slides show a friend tags Kayla Brown and just says, where the hell is Kayla Brown? And Charlie David, the man who's missing, responds, Kayla is with her husband, Charlie. She then asks, why can't she have contact with us? And who is this? And he responds, she doesn't want to. Then Tanya says, I don't believe that. I know Kayla. She's not going to run away from everyone. You or her should at least let someone know she's alive. And then the person on Charlie's account says, the people that need to know that we are okay know that. Some other friends message Charlie's account asking, who is this? You can post comments but can't respond to me. And they're like, where are you? Are you okay? Is this even really you? And it just says, yes, I'm fine. And it's just super creepy. Why even take the time to post on the account if you're trying... I don't know. I don't get it. It's very weird. I don't get it. So... Even weirder, the account posts old pictures of the couple with the caption, we're fine, and that's later deleted. The account even reposts their missing person posters. Whoever was doing this was torturing Charlie and Kayla's family and friends. Yeah. Eventually, police shut down the Facebook accounts and are able to gain access. The Facebook account and Kayla Brown's phone records eventually provided enough information for detectives to zone in on an area. Ooh, good. Their phones had last been used in the middle of nowhere in a rural region of Spartanburg called Woodruff, South Carolina. Kayla's Facebook messages showed that she had been in communication the last few months with a man named Todd Colehep. It appeared as though he was going to be hiring her to do some work for him on his property in, you guessed it, Woodruff. Oh, boy. Police learn that this land, where Charlie and Kayla's phones last pinged, belonged to Colehep, and he was indeed an ex-con and registered sex offender. It appears that this wasn't where Todd resided, but a second property he owned with only a two-story garage on the land. With all of this evidence leading back to Todd and his property, police are able to get a search warrant, not only for the land in Woodruff, but for Todd's home as well in Moore, South Carolina. Oh, that's good. On November 3rd, authorities arrived on the Woodruff property. Simultaneously, detectives showed up knocking on the door of Coolhip's home and more. That scared the shit out of me. (laughs) Oh, God. You can tell the weather is nice because the man in my neighborhood who rides a motorcycle blaring classic rock is back. (laughs) (laughs) He just drove by. I couldn't catch the song, though. It was something country, it sounded like. On November 3rd, authorities arrived on the Woodruff property. Simultaneously, detectives showed up knocking on the door of Colehep's home and more. That way, they had all their bases covered. The land in Woodruff was surrounded by an electric fence that was locked and covered in no trespassing signs. After they cut their way through the fence, they began their search in the two-story garage structure. The second floor was almost like a loft apartment with a bed against the wall. But attached to the wall, there were some chains. Uh. Almost as soon as they saw this, they heard a faint banging sound. (gasps) Oh my god. As they left the garage, it got louder. 
and it was coming from a large green shipping container that was beside a shed nearby. Oh my god. And with that, we should take a little break. Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back, people. (laughs) And we're back. Hey, what's up? Hey guys. Police approach the shipping container and knock loudly. And as soon as they do, a woman starts screaming. Oh my god. Yeah. Mm, This is so creepy. But I'm glad that there's somebody alive in there. Yeah. It's a miracle. Seriously. They immediately find the tools they need and get to work cutting through the five padlocks that secured the container. Oh, Jesus. Body cam footage captured the entire thing. So I'm going to play it for you. Yay. And you guys should be able to watch it too on our social media. So here we go. This is our best. He's a paramedic. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're going to get you out of there, okay? This ain't loose for me. Anybody got a, I need a handcuff oh key. God. Handcuff key. I don't have I got it right here. Hold up. Don't slide back. Hold up. He's, He's got, got a lot. We got to let him get pictures. Randy, let, okay. let me see your light, Randy. You can, you can put your hands down. You're okay. We're here, okay? Yes, sir. Just sit back. Light on or off. We'll get the rest of it. Here, Let's get her out of here. We're getting bolt cutters, honey. Don't, don't. You got pictures of the cuffs? No, pull them. Bolt cutters. In both feet. Just one. Let me see. Attached to a chain. Okay. And my neck's attached to the wall up here. Okay. All right. All right, we're going to get you out some more, okay? You got a handcuff, kid. I got another one in my car. I got another one in my car. I got another one in my car. Bolt cutter. Just hit the chain right there. Move it up. Just no, just right there in her hand, Brandon. We'll, we'll get it off. We'll get it off here. Cut it right here. Do you know where your buddy is? Charlie? Yes. He shot him. He shot him? <gasps> Who didn't? Douche. Todd Colehep shot Charlie Carver three times in the chest, wrapped him in a blue tarp, put him in the bucket of the tractor, locked me down here, I never see him again. Okay. He says he's dead and buried. He says there's several bodies dead and buried out here, and he okay. says that the dogs will be ruined if they go looking because there's red pepper. Right. We're going to step you up, sweet. They're looking because what? Red pepper. Tell the dog people that. No. He says no. pepper everywhere around the... Oh, my God. 
That is crazy. Yeah. It's basically in the video, they are opening the shipping container and then they go in and in the very back, there's like random junk in there, but in the very back, there's a girl and she's chained by the neck to the wall, I guess. I don't know. Um, and she's also handcuffed and the cops are like, okay, we'll get you, you know, we're going to get you out of here. And then they take bolt cutters and cut the chain um, from around her neck. And she, she says that, well, they asked basically where Charlie was. And she was like, he shot him three times in the chest Mm -hmm. and he's dead and buried. Yeah. Um, What did you catch what she said about the dogs? Yeah. So in the video, Officers remove the padlocks from the shipping container with what looks like electric saws. Um, yeah, and to answer your question, I'll, I'm going to get to that part. Okay. Um, when they enter, it's dark, and at the very back of the container, there's a blanket hanging from a clothesline that conceals the area where Kayla Brown was being held. She has a chain around her neck and one around her ankle, and they are bolted to the wall. She's sitting on a little bed made from two dog beds. And it looks like she hasn't seen the light of day in a long time. She is so pale and she almost looks dead. If you didn't hear, one officer asks Kayla, do you know where your buddy is? She responds, Charlie, he shot him. Who did? Todd Colehep shot Charlie Carver three times in the chest, wrapped him in a blue tarp, put him in the bucket of the tractor, locked me down here, and I never seen him again. He said he's dead and buried. He said there's several bodies dead and buried out here and that if the dogs go looking, they'll be ruined because there's red pepper. So red pepper, I guess if you put it out and the dogs sniff it, they won't be able to find anything and they'll be ruined for life. Like their sense of smell won't, they won't be able to work anymore. So that's basically what the video was. And it sounds like she had been waiting for this moment for a while, and she had been thinking about what she would say when the day finally came when she was rescued. Yeah, she had it prepared like a script. Yeah. Her boyfriend, Charlie Carver, had been killed the same day the couple arrived on Colehep's property to work. Kayla spent her days and nights locked in the dark at the back of the shipping container. Kayla told police that Colehep would come to the container between 1 and 3 p.m., and would lead her at gunpoint to the apartment he built above the garage. She said he would feed her, and then, in quotes, made me do whatever he wanted sexually. Ugh, gross, dude. Then he'd put her back in the container, and this was the case most days. Oh my god. How horrible. What a piece of shit. I have another video of them interviewing her in the ambulance, I may or may not include it in the episode because I'm going to recap it, but I I want you to watch it. Okay. Yeah, so the audio is pretty bad on that, but um, I wanted Mallory to see her interview in the ambulance. Uh, That also seemed... It all just came to her so quickly. Like It almost looked like she was reading, like she wrote it all down in a diary or something. I'm not sure. But Kayla talked to investigators after her rescue as she was being transported by ambulance. She said... He would have never hurt Charlie if it wasn't for me. He made that very clear. He only hurt Charlie because of me. She told them that if she refused to carry out sexual acts, that he wouldn't force her because, quote, he did not believe in rape, but he made it very well known why I was there. And if I wasn't useful, then I didn't need to be kept any longer. And then he would shoot me. That's some like serious 
manipulation. He didn't believe in rape. Yeah. Like, he raped someone when he was 15 years old. Yeah. And that is rape, what he's doing. Like, mm-hmm. it's that type of manipulation and that attitude that's just so disgusting. Yep. Investigators ask her if he'd ever mentioned how many people he'd killed. She said, story-wise, he told me about four. He also told me about a time he walked into a bike shop in Anderson and shot four people, and they never found out who did it. He liked to brag that he was a serial killer and a mass murderer. He said he was going to kill more people because he had dreams of his body count being in the three digits. He said right now it was still high two digits. He said that if I was a good girl, he'd teach me how to kill and I could get to be his partner. Kayla shakes her head in disgust and continues, He said he used to kill people for the government, that he was a paramilitary contractor, that he liked to kill drug dealers and stuff like that, but that he just wanted me and he had to kill Charlie so he'd know I was serious. Which, that doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't make sense to me either. Like, it's her choice to have him kill Charlie? Like, I don't understand. I don't know. I really wish I could know what their Facebook messages said. Yeah. Because she had been talking to him for a while on Facebook. And he also knew her from Waffle House. Oh, really? So I don't know, like, what their relationship was or or what. But it's That's it doesn't make sense. Super weird. Kayla told investigators Cole had made it very clear the only way she would stay alive was for his pleasure but it looked like her time was just about up investigators found that Colehep had prepared for brown's death they found a grave pre-dug and open next to where carver was buried oh my god so, oh my god they got to her just in time I know. holy shit <sighs> the same time police were talking to kayla todd was being arrested in his home good what a fucking bitch i hate him so i pulled up he's gained a lot of weight (laughs) (laughs) so i pulled up some pictures of todd in his home being arrested and his gut is hanging out of his (laughs) t-shirt um i also have a picture of his mugshot compared to the sketch from the superbike motorsports murders i mean i guess i see similarities in like the eyes and the mouth and back then that was like 15 years ago so yeah yeah, he may have had more hair then, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he still has hair, but the hairline. So when the police got to Todd's property, um, I watched a body cam video of him, like, when they go to his door, and he's, like, just super casual. Like, what's going on? Yeah, like, he played it off like oh, nothing weird. was going on at all. Yeah. And the officers kind of seemed, like, a little scared of him, oh. um, which was... I guess understandable. I mean, they had search warrant to go in, so I guess maybe they were focused on, like, following all the legal procedures. But so they had, when they were in the home, that's when they got the call that they had found Kayla. Oh. And so they arrested him and told him that they had found her in the shipping container on his property. Oh, my God. And he denied knowing anything about Kayla being on his property. Sure. <laughs> Initially, Todd told them that Brown and Carver had gone to his Woodruff land to work on a pruning and clearing job on or around August 31st, but they left an hour later because it was too hot. But his story would soon change. Todd made a deal to tell the truth about everything if he could see his mother first and let her know what was happening face to face. When he saw his mother, he confessed everything to her. 
He said he killed Charlie because he had a smart mouth. <laughs> and in interviews with his mother, she was basically like, you know, Todd was paying him and Todd pays well. And this young man had a smart mouth. So so he should have been killed, lady. Yeah, and you're it totally was a, right. It was in an episode of 48 Hours and the um, guy who was interviewing was like, so Todd kills people when he's mad? Yeah. And she's like, well, he didn't used to. <laughs> it was just very flippant almost yeah well this lady i guess has also been dealing with this shit her whole life so yeah. it's like nothing new to her yeah and i guess like if you're someone's mother like do you ever fully you know just yeah i don't know how to explain it i know like what if adrian because of her oh no <laughs> I, I would be like well they probably had it coming yeah. <laughs> no but that was not like i don't want to say that was her attitude but it had like an undercurrent of that attitude yeah kind of. yeah so todd also confessed to killing the coxie couple the couple that went missing prior mm-hmm. and the four superbike employees back in 2003 When Todd's mother asked if there were more, Todd responded that she didn't have enough fingers to count. Oh my god. A few days later, police start their search for more bodies on Todd's property. They discovered the bodies of missing couple Megan and Johnny Coxey. They had been missing for a year at that point. Todd said that he had hired them to do some work for him, much like Charlie and Kayla, but that he didn't like the way they talked to him. What is this thing with people in not liking the way they're talking to him. Jeez, I don't know. A lot know. of people didn't like the way he talked to them, so... Exactly. His confession to the Superbike murders was a shock. Like I said earlier, he provided details that had not been released to the public. While talking with detectives, Todd had an air of confidence. He was really proud of himself for getting away with what he did. As he describes how he shot and killed four innocent people, he makes jokes. Good. Appropriate time saying that the detectives would have been proud of how fast he cleared the room. Um, I don't think that's what they're, you know, focusing on right now, buddy. And they, the detectives, you know, it's their job to get more information. So they're laughing along with him, which is like, Mm -hmm. feels so, ugh. Yeah. And, you know, he keeps making jokes about how he murders people. And like, he's just like so casual about it. Oh my God. And not, he doesn't feel bad about it at all. His attitude is so self-righteous, it's disgusting. He has zero remorse for what he's done. A search of Kolhep's properties uncovered numerous weapons, including 9mm pistols outfitted with suppressors, semi-automatic rifles, and a shit ton of ammunition. There was no record of a background check under Kolhep's name for the purchase of these weapons, and investigators discovered that Todd had purchased all of his weapons illegally. Oh, great. Good job. Following Kolhep's arrest, authorities discovered a bunch of Amazon reviews for various products, such as padlocks, shovels, tasers, and weapons. Oh yeah, I forgot about Amazon enthusiasts. (laughs) (laughs) The reviews were written by a user known simply as me. One review about a padlock stated, Solid locks. Have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but sure will slow them down till they are too old to care. Another written for a folding shovel read, Keep in car for when you have to hide the bodies and you left the full-size shovel at home. Does not come with a midget, which would have been nice. Oh my god. The reviewer's wish list page was listed as Todd Colehep. 
He has a taser, no, a stun gun. And he wrote, seriously trying to find a reason to zap one of my agents for being lazy. It's going to be the new office motivational tool. He has another review for a master lock. And he says, works great. Also, if someone talks back, go old school on them by putting this in a sock and beating them. They will not appreciate the hardened steel like you will. Works great on shipping containers. Oh my god, dude. He also had a review on a chainsaw. Works excellent. Getting the neighbor to stand still while you chase him with it is hard enough without having an easy-to-use chainsaw. So yeah. Very cool reviews and very telling now that we know that he actually does have a shipping container that contains somebody he's trying to <laughs> keep in there. But you can see he has this stupid-ass sense of humor yeah, it's so where dumb. he thinks he is so smart and so clever. Yeah. And he's just so, like, brazen Yes. with it. Yeah, that reminds me of too. I mean, yeah. Oh, that reminds me of our old manager, too. Yep. Yeah, the <laughs> stupid sense of humor. Like that, the kind of stuff he says just mm-hmm. super reminds me of him. Kolhep was charged with four counts of murder in relation to the Chesney shootings and one count of kidnapping in relation to Brown's abduction. He was later charged with three additional counts of murder for the murders of Carver and the Coxies, along with one additional count of kidnapping and three counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. On May 26th, 2017, Colehep pleaded guilty to seven counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping, and one count of criminal sexual assault, and was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Wow. A plea bargain is what spared him from capital punishment. Mm. Although his defense swore at his sentencing that there were no other victims to be found, Colehep has since repeatedly admitted there are at least two other murders as of August 2018. But he has yet to give authorities any details about those. Kolhep is currently imprisoned in the Broad River Correctional Institute. Melissa Brackman, which is formerly Melissa Ponder, the mm-hmm. wife of Scott Ponder, yeah. made a tearful statement to Todd Kolhep at his trial. She apologized to him for how her husband and his buddy made him feel by making fun of him. She forgave him for what he did. Listening to her say these words gave me mixed feelings because one, I definitely feel like she is setting an example about how we all have to do better. And I guess it had been about 15 years since it had happened. So she had to move on and find forgiveness. But at the same time, I, I wouldn't want to give someone like that the relief of such kind and empathetic words. No, me neither. So she's definitely an amazing woman, but like, I don't think I could ever apologize when my spouse has been killed like me personally not that what she Mm -hmm. did was wrong i think she's like incredibly like bigger than i could be but like i would feel guilty yeah for doing that i think i would too because i feel like almost well you're just excusing the behavior almost at that Mm -hmm. point not not necessarily excusing i don't know what the right word is for it but seems disrespectful to the murdered <laughs> yeah i, I not don't disrespectful i don't know what i'm trying to say it yeah i was so conflicted i was just like what but on the other end i was like well maybe he'll see that i don't know i don't know he, there's no way he would ever like feel bad or see that 
No, we've Anything. already... He, he's just fucked up, so... Yes, we've learned that he has no conscience at all. So I don't think he deserved that apology, but I think Melissa Brackman is very big. Like, yes. It's amazing of her to, to be that way. Yeah, for um, sure. Melissa's heartbreak didn't end with the loss of her first husband, though. Melissa remarried in 2015 to Chad Brackman, uh, Maricopa County Sheriff's Lieutenant in Scottsdale, Arizona. Chad was struck by a vehicle and killed while working traffic control off-duty. Oh, my God. So that was kind of recently. Oh, that's so awful. I know. Tragedy also didn't leave the life of Kayla Brown. After her rescue, Brown pursued a relationship with Adam Mason. The couple got engaged before Adam died of a self-inflicted stab wound to the chest. Oh, no. Doctors tried to save Mason, but during treatment, he went into cardiac arrest and passed away. It was ruled a suicide. Later, I, I don't, I don't understand it. How you can stab yourself in the chest? There I, are better ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yikes! Later that year, Kayla Brown started dating James Devon Moore. In July 2019, Brown and Moore were arrested for domestic assault. Oh no. Brown's attorney, David Wyatt, said she's obviously having a hard time. Kayla's spokesperson, Jenny Dial, reported Kayla was off her meds when the assault occurred. Since 2019, Kayla has avoided the headlines, and therefore there are few details about her life now. Her current partner's name and daughter's identity are unknown. So there's really no information about this, but I was on a Facebook group for finding Charlie Carver and Kayla Brown that still exists today. They still post updates. And the owner of the Facebook page seems to think that Kayla Brown was kind of like involved with Todd Kohlheb. And this is not proven by any means. But just to put that out there, that some people believe that she may have been involved and... Also, the sketchiness of how her fiancé died was just... I don't know. Well, based on what she was saying in the ambulance, I was wondering the same thing. Mm -hmm. Because she was saying that... What was it? She said Charlie died because he wanted to know... or like If he he could trust me or... Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it it didn't make any sense to me. So I'm wondering if there's things we don't know. Like, I'm not by any means saying that she was involved, but maybe she was um, Maybe she was kind of involved with him, but not in the way where she wanted him to kill her boyfriend. But like... Right, right. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, that's just <sighs> speculation. And I don't know to believe. she She's definitely a victim. Oh, um, absolutely. So that's pretty much the story. Kayla Brown sought $360 million in damages, but the judge awarded her $6.3 million from Kohlhepp's estate. I'm not sure if she actually gets that money or how that works. Um, yeah, also, know. how do people come up with these numbers for damages? Like $360 million? Like who says, like who comes up with that number and like how is that calculated? I have no clue. I always find it so, like, outrageous, the numbers that they throw out there. Yeah. So I know there was a damages hearing 
for the families of the Superbike murders, but I couldn't find if they received anything. However, Todd Kohlhepp's belongings were auctioned off and the proceeds went to the victims' families. Oh, okay. Well, it's good they got something, I guess. Yeah. Um, So I would like to end the story just by reading each of the known victims' names in remembrance. Scott Ponder, who was 30. Brian Lucas was 30. Chris Sherbert was 26. Beverly Guy, 52. Johnny Joe Coxie, 29. Megan Lee McCraw Coxie, 26. And Charles David Carver, 32. And of course, they're families are all victims as well and I hope they found closure and peace and I'm just so glad that Todd Kohlhepp will be behind bars forever literally forever yes. seven consecutive life sentences <laughs> without parole so kind of a weird story um, in Anderson South Carolina which is where the superbike murders occurred there's a prison there Mm-hmm. And I've been in that prison. Oh, is that the one you went to with work or yeah. whatever? And they told you not to wear makeup? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. So um, at my old job, some of our products were manufactured within the prison in Anderson, South Carolina. And we got to go through the prison. And, like, I don't know how I feel about prison labor. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I get, like... I like how the money they make can go to restitution for the families. I like that part. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a touchy subject. But anyway, we toured the jail or the prison and it was insane. Yeah, they said you can't wear makeup because they don't want you to look like too good or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, and don't want you to be enticing for the right. prisoners. But yeah. It's kind of weird that I was in the prison in Anderson, South Carolina. It's kind of weird that they decided that touring the prison was a good idea. I mean, I guess I get it because they were making your products, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is weird. It's just weird. It is weird. (laughs) It's just weird. Yeah, it's... I'm not saying that it's normal or it's good. Um, But anyway... So I guess I'll read my sources. So CBS 48 Hours did a few episodes on this case that were really good. They also had some articles that I've read. TrueCrimeDaily.com, Independent Mail, Wikipedia, and The Washington Post. That was a crazy one. Yeah. Oh my God. I was just so blown away that he was on the Facebook page, like talking yes. to them and like, that is really weird. I don't get what the point of doing that is. It seems to just be like part of his personality. Like he just has to be like toying, like, with, toying them. with people or clever in some way or like feeling like he's pulling one over on people. Yeah. Also with the Amazon reviews. Yeah. It's just like the same thing. And if you were to watch his police interrogations, the way he talks and stuff, he like, thinks he's the smartest and funniest person in the world guess what todd you're not so like literally nothing he said has been funny at all nope boo (laughs) (laughs) todd boo well unless you have anything to add i think that concludes this 13th Episode. episode lucky number 13 yeah oh my god um yeah no that that was 
I can't believe it, I just it blows me away. <laughs> I'm sorry that how long was she in the shipping container? Two months. Two months. Yeah, and I didn't even mention um, things found in the shipping container. She had some paperback books. Mm-hmm. There were like true true crime novels. I think there was True Detectives was he one of them. Get those for her? Like what? But he did in one of his police interviews say that he bought her a book she requested and it was like on witchcraft or something. And I have oh. it in this picture here. Solitary Witch. Oh, weird. Um and like in so he has like this plastic container of drawers and in one of them there was like Ritz crackers and like it's just like yeah looks uh, like there's like tums or something in there too yeah cards cranberry juice like but how horrible and just to give you an idea of how isolated this place was so you can see the garage here mm. the shipping container was like you can't even see it because it was so like Oh. isolated and wooded wow so it was not even close to the garage it must have been i think it must have been like over around here but they would have never found her if yeah. it hadn't been for her phone yeah and the facebook activity and stuff like that yeah wow that's crazy oh my god so yeah guys um don't forget to follow us on social media yeah and Give us a review on Spotify. We ask for it every time. It's super easy. Apple Podcasts too, please. Yeah, no one does Apple Podcasts, but it'd be nice to get some on there too. And if you have any recommendations, feel yeah. free to message us on any of our social media or email us. It's rabbitholehappyhour at gmail.com and rabbitholehappyhour Instagram everywhere, pretty much. So anything else? Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, it's your turn next, little lady. Yep, and as usual, don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> but I'm sure it's going to be really crazy. I'll make sure of it. Cool. <laughs> well, we hope everyone is having a good day, and we'll see you next time. Bye, babies. See you later.